This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. On this episode, I'm talking to a woman who's so very generously sharing her story of her reconstructions. I say reconstructions because she's actually had more than one type of reconstruction. Breast reconstruction surgery is rarely a one and done, and often, not always, involves more than one surgery for revision or refinements. Although that of course depends upon individual, medical and personal circumstances, and what results a woman hopes to achieve. Sometimes the choice of reconstruction is right for a particular time of life or the current treatment path. But when things change, home or work, body shape, childcare, or your treatment plan, reconstruction choices might be reviewed and revisited. And that's all part of personalized patient-centered care and making an informed decision about what's right for you. While it's all very individual, Hearing the stories of other women can help you when you're considering your options for now or later. And that's why I'm so very grateful to be joined today by Kylie Lynch, who's sharing her experience of her different reconstructions. So good morning, Kylie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Luanne. Oh, it's an honor. I'm so grateful for you for sharing your story with us. Um, Now, it's it's a Sydney morning here, isn't it? It's early-ish. It's not too early by Sydney standards, but it's no. an early morning. How's your morning going? Pretty good. All the kids are, well, except one, um, are out the door and um, it's lovely and sunny. So still yeah. winter, but lovely. Yeah. So mo- morning mission accomplished, yeah? Correct. <laughs> First. First, First one yeah. off of, yeah. of the task yeah. list. Yeah. And have you had your coffee? I've had my tea. I don't drink coffee. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I've I've had my coffee, so hopefully I'll be good <laughs> to go. Um, so thank you again for sharing your story with us. I did mention at the intro there a bit about the fact that you've had more than one type of reconstruction, but I wondered if you could share with us initially some of your story, why you needed to consider reconstruction in the first place. Okay. My big year was 2016. So I was, I think everybody knows exactly where they were when you were told the words. It was um, January 29 in 2016 when I was told that I had breast cancer um, and it was, um, I'll read it out because, you know, you forget, invasive mucinous and ductal carcinoma, 
with extensive lymphovascular invasion. So in other words, it was in my left breast um, and it had already gone to my lymph nodes. Mm. So um, I got put into neoadjuvant chemo first, um, which I think everyone will understand it happens so quickly. So within, I think, a week or just over a week from diagnosis, I was having my first chemo. Mm. So um, had the um, the three weekly cycle chemos, had six of those, and then had surgery. Um, so I, we had discussed with my surgeon um, what was the best plan. Uh, and I was one of those people, which I think is very common. At first they said, oh, no, it might just be a lumpectomy. And then they said, oh, no, it has to be a mastectomy. And then it was, oh, we're taking all of your lymph nodes as well. Um, so because I was a bit leaner then um, and we decided that we would do a double mastectomy but not in the same operation because um, I'd had you know, I'd been hit pretty hard with chemo. So my surgeon said, look, let's do one side mastectomy. We'll put a tissue expander in. You'll do your radio with that. And then we'll keep going after that. So the first surgery was just the one mastectomy, the auxiliary clearance and a tissue expander inserted. I did my radiotherapy. And then um, after that, once, you know, they pumped up the expander, I went in for another surgery um, the, that, the left expander was exchanged for an implant and I, they did the right mastectomy in that operation. I had a tissue expander put in for that. Um, so then, you know, you wait a certain amount of time and then I went back to get um, the right expander uh, exchange for an implant. Um, at the time, I didn't have enough tissue um, to be able to do a bilateral diet. So, um, I, you know, had the implants for uh, nearly six years, but from about the five-year mark, my radiotherapy side started to contract substantially. Um, It was quite hard with scar tissue. So my surgeon said to me, look, you're going to have to make a decision. So the decision was you can continue with the implants, but um, stats sort of show once that happens, once on your radiotherapy side, it will continue to sort of repeat and I would need to get implants replaced every five to seven years. Um, And that wasn't something that I wanted to do, um, to sort of have to continue that. Uh, So the other option was to do the bilateral DEP and replace the implants with my own tissue, um, which I did in January this year. Okay. Okay. So quite recent for you then. Yeah. Just having that DEP. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're on the DEP side. So congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wondered if we could talk a little bit about the decision around not having the DEP on that initial reconstruction. So mm. that was really looking at your, was it something that you would have preferred to have done um, aesthetically, but you, as you said, you said you didn't quite have the, the, bod- the body um, sort of the, the mm. body to do that? It, would it have been a preference for you, do you think? It's an interesting question because when I think back, um, I still don't know if I would have done that. I had young kids. My kids were much younger then. Yeah. Um, so I probably would have found the recovery of the DEP a little bit difficult. Um, I, 
you know, chemo was for everybody, um, not fun. Mm. And uh, I don't even know if I would have made that decision back Mm. then. Mm. I think it was the right decision for me at the time. And my surgeon did say to me, look, um, you know, this will give, allow you the option of Dieppe if needed down the track. Mm. Um, So I probably did have it in the back of my mind that if something happened, then, you know, I could consider it. Yeah. Okay. So if it was a discussion at the time Mm. with your surgeon that, and you chose that path because yeah, you had, you had young kids, didn't you? Yeah. My, when I, mine was six, eight and 10 at the time. Mm. Um, So they weren't babies. Um, But my youngest, my daughter took it pretty hard. So, um, because, you know, I definitely looked like I was going through treatment. I lost every hair on my body. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I think it was the right decision for me at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great, great. And it's great to have a surgeon that's chatting to you around all those different aspects of your life as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you find the um, How did you find the expanders initially? Because um, I know that's one of a concern that a lot of women have when they're having yeah. that kind of uh, skin sparing mastectomy. They're not the most comfortable. Um, I, look, I count myself lucky. I've spoken to a lot of women who it, they've really hated them and they've been very uncomfortable. Um, they certainly, you know, different ways you move, you definitely feel them. Um, they sometimes feel a bit weird on your chest wall. Um, but as I said, I was lucky. Mine weren't that bad. I think um, just knowing in your mind, I, I just kept telling myself, well, it's temporary. It's yeah. it's not a permanent thing. Yeah. Um, and because mine, I, I didn't have pain with them, just a bit of discomfort every now and then, um, they were manageable. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Mm. Yeah, similarly, I had a a single uh, skin sparing mastectomy with an expander and I think towards the end it was just it felt very there I was just conscious of it but I was very I was really fortunate that I didn't have any um any pain from them um Mm. but and and for anyone who's wondering what an expander is in um I think it might be episode three with Dr Carly Snook a breast surgeon she talks about the different types of mastectomy and goes into what an expander is and why it might be used there so if anyone wants to check that out but um so you've got the skin expander and then you went to implants so Mm. just did your did because um I had a look actually at an expander yesterday outside um outside of a body uh, because it was a presentation <laughs> that somebody had and that, you know, it is, it is different to an implant. Did it yes. feel different when you had your implants put in after the expander? Did that then feel more comfortable for you? How did your implants feel? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So it went from like, exactly like you said, you just felt it there Yeah. Uh, to not feeling. Um, it just sort of, yeah, I, I didn't really feel the implants mm. to be honest. Um, they were, I mean, they certainly, implants don't feel like real breast tissue, mm. um, but, yeah, definitely better. I was very relieved once I could get rid of the tissue expanders. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I can remember doing the backstroke once when I was um, swimming on holiday and the expander was really proud and then my natural <laughs> breast was going a bit <laughs> south and it was almost like, up oh, periscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not the nicest device. They're functional. Um and I think a lot of people, you know, um have that fear that 
you know, when they pump it up, it's sort mm. of like, oh, is that going to hurt? It doesn't hurt at all because, as yeah. you know, it's numb yeah. um, in, in the area that they that they pump it up. So it's, yeah. I think it's more fear than anything, yeah. but yeah. Um, it doesn't yeah. hurt. Yeah, I was really, I was really, really worried about it. But I think mm. as well, I think the surgeon that I had, it, it was a staged process. They didn't try and put too much yes. in on each kind of pump up, if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really fortunate. But I was, when I switched out to DF, I was quite, quite relieved, I think, at that point. So, mm. so you experienced some contracture in the radiated breast six years after the implant reconstruction. And that's what prompted you to, to go, um, go with a DEP and the kids are a bit older and, it, and the recovery seems more manageable and you're not post chemo is that yes. part of your decision making absolutely and I was actually I said to you before I actually saw my breast surgeon yesterday for my last um yearly checkup and um yeah it, it was sort of um I, I felt that I could handle it better because uh I was lucky enough to not be dealing with straight after cancer. Mm. Um, it is a big operation. Um, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches. It's um, definitely a bigger operation than the others because you've got the two wound sites and, mm. um, yeah, so it was definitely bigger and it was something that had been playing on me and I thought I think I do want to do it and I feel like it's time and like you said um my kids are more manageable now looking after themselves a bit more um so yeah and my surgeon was really good she was very honest she just said look I can very easily um change them for you mm. or you can go to a plastic surgeon and talk about um doing the big op so I actually consulted two plastic mm. surgeons before I made my decision Okay, great, great. So getting two opinions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was the deciding factor on who you who you chose um, or was, yeah, because there's different reasons, isn't there, why we pick different, different surgeons? Is. Yeah. Yeah, I always say, you know, picking surgeons is like picking an obstetrician when you're pregnant. Like you, you really need to feel a connection. Mm. I think you really need to feel comfortable because this person is changing your body. Um, cool. So you need to feel like you can ask them anything um, and you feel comfortable with the way that they're going to approach you. Um, there were a few factors and I will admit one of the, the biggest factors was money. Mm. Um, getting a DEP is really expensive uh, as, a, as a private patient and I, yeah. and I decided I wanted to be a private patient because I didn't want to have to go on the wait list mm. and I was trying to sort of do it around work and, you know, make it happen so we sort of saved for it because I, I put it off for nearly a year so we could um, save towards it so cost was a factor yeah. um, but the other was I just felt a real connection with the person that I ended up choosing compared to another one who is you know has a great reputation but I just didn't feel that and I felt the person that I chose um, I don't know he's just really easy to get along with, very good. Um, and my surgeon, my breast surgeon, um, endorsed uh, that person as well. Yeah. So um, I sort of felt uh, that I would be looked after um, and I definitely do not regret my decision. Good, 
Good, yeah. good. Yeah, it is really important, isn't it? And we are through the private, um, in a private setting, we do get the opportunity to, to, to choose our surgeon, don't yeah. we? And it's mm-hmm. we're really fortunate for that. And and just as a reconstruction, the type of reconstruction is personalised, and it's about what's right for you. Then the surgeon is what's right for you, and it might not be the same for each people, each Correct. person rather. Yeah. So I'm so pleased yeah. that you found somebody that you connected with. Yeah, and and I've got I've, I'll do a revision operation which will be coming up in about a month. Okay, um, with the plastic surgeon. Yeah. So um, I think that's another thing. You know, when we talk about plastic surgeon, I think some women think, "Well, I'm going to come out here looking like you know, beautiful Barbie." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when our when my body, I can talk for myself, has had so much treatment and and multiple operations. Um, you know, you don't come out looking perfect uh, and it's hard for them to know how the tissue that they take from your abdomen is going to settle in the breasts. So it's very common to have at least one revision operation. Yeah. And that was part of the discussion, was it, with your with your plastic surgeon about yes. what was achievable for you? Yes. Um, that's what I liked about the one that I chose was um, I didn't want any promises that I would look like a supermodel if that wasn't what was achievable. Mm. Um, and he very clearly said, look, it's a bit of a wait and see. And he's, and I actually wanted to have the um, the revision op a month ago yeah. and he said no. He actually said, no, we need to wait longer. We need to see um, really, he said, I want to see how it settles more. And he said, I think we need more time. So, um as disappointed as I was to not get it over and done with, uh, I really respect that he's got my best interests at heart, like trying to give me the best outcome mm. that he can achieve. Um, and he's been honest. He actually said to me, uh, because it's my left side and my, my radio side that um, is a bit di- like the tissue has sort of um, settled a little bit, um, probably looks smaller than the right, the best way to explain it. Uh, and he's going to work on that shape. Uh, but he said to me, you know, I can't guarantee that that will happen in just one operation. I may need two revisions. That's obviously my choice. He said you might want to stop after one. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but he said, you know, I can, we, we can do more if, if we need to. Um, but I think, which is something I've learnt through this process, I didn't know that when you do the revision, because the tissue that they put in for the revision does not have the blood supply, that you lose between 40 to 60% of what they insert in that revision. Um, so that was something I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realise that. So that made me understand. He was like, do you now see why sometimes you need more than one revision? So you mean the fat graft in there? Yeah. 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 Which and I, I just wasn't aware. I just assumed. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you, whatever you put in is what stays what there. Stays. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't. No. So, um, just have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have those conversations, though, isn't it? That looking forward and also the yes. acknowledgement that you might not want to have the the second yeah. revision, and that is entirely entirely up to you. That's right, and that's what he said. He said, you yeah. know, you're better off. We'll, we'll do the first revision. Let's wait some months. And he said, and then, you know, we'll be guided by what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I will just wait. I mean, obviously the revision is um, 
a much easier option. Much easier. <laughs> It's yeah. only one night overnight in, in hospital. It's, yeah, much yeah. more manageable. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of what a surgeon said in one of the pods that we've recorded already, um, which is like you're the boss, the patient's the boss. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can I ask you a little bit then about the recovery from your Dieppe? Um, mm-hmm. Because it is one of those um, it is one of those concerns for women, isn't it? It's the recovery time. As you said, it is a big operation um more so if you've got a, had a double I think I had a single yeah. mm-hmm. um and and as you said you know that recovery can impact you financially there's a financial cost of actually there having is. a surgery but then um yeah. you know potential you know loss of earnings or having to take mm-hmm. uh, unpaid leave or, or whatever how was how was your recovery Kylie uh, look, I, I was done right at the end of January, the day after Australia Day, yeah. which made me laugh because I actually said to my surgeon, I hope you're not having a big Australia Day. <laughs> I hope you're not having a big one. <laughs> yeah, please don't drink a lot. Um, I want some steady hands. Um, I, it, look, it was big. Uh, I, I don't think you, you, you don't, you know, it's a bit like you don't know what you don't know until yeah. you're there, uh, but you would know. You go straight into ICU after the operation because they've got to check the breast or the tissue that's been put in the breast every hour to make sure that the blood supply is still um, alive. So, you know, there's um, you're being monitored continuously. You don't get much sleep for those first couple of days. Um, and I don't do well on painkillers, but I'm aware of that, having had multiple operations. So you just sort of deal with it um so the first few days are um pretty big you know you you do feel like you've been hit by a truck um and there's a few moments there I think um as my breast surgeon said to me because she visited me in hospital and I think it was on the third day so I think it was the the end of the day third day so after I came out of ICU into the Melbourne ward and I was a bit teary because I think it hits you and you go, wow, what have I done? Mm. And I can't go backwards now. It's done. Mm. And she actually said to me, yeah, it's like the baby blues, isn't it, after you have the baby? And I was like, that's exactly what it's like because the very next morning I, I was felt okay. So, yeah. you know, it could have also been all the meds that you're on, you know, mm. maybe it makes you a little bit emotional. Mm. Um, but. I don't know, I just, after that I sort of felt, okay, well, this is where I'm at. Um, I'm just going to have to manage it. And it it is big because, you know, you've got drain. I had six drains coming out of me. Um, that's my new record because before I've had four. <laughs> and this, this one takes the cake. I had yeah. I had six. So, six you know, you. yeah, get, getting out of bed just to go to the bathroom is a task because you don't have any, you can't use your stomach. So, you know, you're learning how to roll over and get out of bed. So it's all those little things that you take for granted that in that process become quite difficult. Um, But I will say every day after that you feel better exponentially, Mm. even in hospital. Mm. Um, And I'm not saying, you know, you're walking around having a great time, but um, if this is what you wanted to do, you realise I can do this, you know. Um, I think a big tip someone told me was 
um, to get out of bed as quickly as you can and to walk around and do the laps, yeah. I did that religiously because, yeah. you know, you're bent over a bit. People don't realise because your skin's been stretched that you're sort of hunched over a little bit. Um, so, you know, I was doing the laps of the ward uh, a few times a day, every day. Um, and so, you know, I was in hospital for a week, which is very normal for this op. So by the time I got home, you know, I was walking around and I couldn't believe it. It was actually my first op ever that I didn't go home with any drains. I was drain free. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Yeah, from six to zero. And, from yeah. six to zero. So I, there were f- the last few days they were sort of coming in going, you know, my, my surgeon was saying, okay, we can take that one out. We can take these two out. So it was just slowly he was taking them out. Um because, you know, I've always gone home with drains, which are just, it's not fun. They're a faff, aren't they? They really are. I call them my library bags, you know, you okay. library bags. <laughs> um, so that was really nice. Uh, and I think that gave me quite a mental boost. Mm. Um, and I had planned. So uh, I had like a, a wedge pillow at home and I had, I'd spoken to a lot of people. So I sort of had my aids at home mm. that would help me. Uh, with my recovery and you know I definitely sort of walked every day and and did that kind of thing but it really is a minimum of a six-week commitment Mm. Uh, I I didn't have six weeks off but I had nearly four weeks off Mm. uh, work because I've got my own business so if you don't work you don't earn anything Um, but my job I'm you know sitting down it's not something that's too physically taxing so uh, that's why I thought I could go back in those last two weeks even though my surgeon said to me take six weeks off um but even after that like it you know you're not fully recovered and and I think that's probably because you know your surgeon always talks about those six weeks but then it's the rest of the time because it was like oh well no, you can't go back to normal exercise. You still yeah. can't use your stomach muscles. Like you can't do sit-ups and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, oh, okay, this is way longer mm. um, than I thought. And, I mean, you're still functioning in normal life. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it takes longer to feel like yourself, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that longer and I found a lot of mine mental as well. Um, yes. I, I uh, micro-blogged 100 days dieppe on instagram and when i look back at it a lot of what i was so i i, I did a post and microblogged every day for 100 days and i just find a lot of what i talked about there was there was some physical but a lot of it for me was the mental aspect during mm. that as well mm. and i think um doing the way i did which is you know years down the track compared to um the cancer treatment um it's a trigger so yeah. it's yeah. it's managing you sort of back in that space, yeah. which you think you never wanted to be back, but you're like, whoa, it just sort of everything flooded back and you, yeah. you, know, you, you do find your mind starting to go into those places again. So you sort of got to manage that too. Yeah, that's a really, a really great point. Because um, I similarly had a conversation with the breast care nurse, I think it was the night before my surgery. And I was like, and I was, it was a, it was a, only a year after my um, treatment, mm. my mastectomy, but I was similarly like, I feel like I'm back in cancer land. I feel mm. that I'm back there. So that is something, yeah, to be mindful of. Thank you, Kylie. Mm. 
And I think as well, I wanted to acknowledge, because I know talking to some women who, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, some women who've had chemotherapy and have DEP quite soon after chemotherapy, that can mm. be quite a different experience than having a delayed DEP. I know that some women that I talked to, like, no, it really hit them really hard because it was quite soon after chemo that they had that DEP. And they, I know some are concerned that they feel that when when people are talking about it, it's put over a little bit easier than what it actually is. And um, but I think mm -hmm. if you've had it after chemo, yeah, that is a real a real tough kind of recovery. It really is, and I think you know, look, you you can look at something on both sides, everything. So you know, you could say if they do it soon after their chemo, you're in it. You might as well get it all done and then when mm. you recover, you've recovered compared to me going back and sort of putting myself in that space. But, um, you know, I'm much more mentally stronger now. Yeah. I, it's in my rear vision, yeah. you know, a lot. So yeah. I, I had that to sort of help me mentally. Um, yeah, I, you know, in my work I, I see women who have quite often said that and said I just did not realise mm. how big this operation was. And it's the way I look at it now, it is a really big operation. It, it, I, I now know it is a really big operation, um, but it's the long-term benefit of it. So, um, you know, it's my tissue now. I don't have to worry about replacing implants anymore um, and not that what happened to my implant happens to everybody. It's It only happens to a percentage of people. Some people don't have any, you know, issues with their implants and have them for a long time. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that I was in that category that I needed to take some action. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's they're advanced. The, thing, the great thing is they're advancing so much because I actually thought about that having a DEP seven years ago would probably have been an even bigger recovery um, compared to now because, as you know, they've made such advances in the microsurgery and, and how they do it and they don't have to take your muscle anymore and, yeah. um, you know, it, it is a better outcome. Um, they don't use that mesh anymore, all that kind of stuff, which really helped with my decision-making of getting it done now. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Things have, yeah, changed and move forward even four years ago since I've had mine and some of the work that I'm talking to surgeons around now about DEP is really, really advanced on yes. from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I love that analogy that you said there. Um, it's in the rear view mirror for you now. Mm. That's beautiful. It is. It's never gone, which yeah. I'm sure, you know, you know very well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can more easily fall back onto um, just living and knowing that we're still here, mm. you know, mine was had already gone to my lymph nodes. You, you sort of, if you look at some of the stats, they don't look so great. Mm. Um, but I just think we're lucky in the country that we're in and, you know, my motto is always they're not my stats. Stats to me are only used by your medical team to determine your treatment yeah um but they're not me yeah so um yeah because you know my outcome wasn't as high as what they say but I'm still here seven years later so um I do, I do think mindset is a massive part of it 
Uh, and slowly we've got to continue to try and change the stigmas that's surrounding um, cancer because we are getting some great outcomes. Yeah, yeah, and um, as those sort of treatments are becoming more successful, there are more people living after a diagnosis, aren't there? And it's um, being able to provide that supportive care that that acknowledges that, the treatments, the, you know, the fallout from a diagnosis and the treatments and and that needs to include surgeries I think as well because that is as you say you know DF as well is massive surgery um Mm. I can only imagine how it must be so hard to try and um consider this kind of operation because as you know in the beginning when they're talking to you it's so overwhelming Mm. it's information overload you know we're more experts on it now um, with with all the information that we have. But um, when you're in it, it's it's really hard to yeah. understand it, to sort of um, weigh up what is best for me. Mm. Um, so, you know, with breast cancer, at least there is a lot of support available. Mm. Um, if people put their hands up, there's people that you can talk to and, you know, peer support and all that kind of stuff, which I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's absolutely how we met as well because you were doing yes. some peer support on a program <laughs> that I was on. I was thinking about this. So um, we actually go to the same cancer centre or did do. We've both graduated from that now. I'm very we fortunate <laughs> we don't have to go back there. Um, but it has a wonderful early breast cancer support program Um where women who are early diagnosed and going through treatment can go on the program. They hear from different health professionals each week about different topics, medical oncology, radio oncology, reconstruction. And um, within that group, there are peer support workers, mentors, aren't there, like yourself? And actually now I've, I've started doing that. And I think it helped me so much, Kylie, just to see women that had got through it helped me yeah. think that I could get through it too. You know, honestly did. It really did. Um, I, I don't think there's any better um, advertisement mm. than seeing someone who was walking in your shoes and is still there years later. Mm. You know, someone can talk to you forever, but to go, well, she's still here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. maybe I'm okay. Yeah. Um, I think it is, yeah, I think it is really important. And um, it's funny, isn't it, because even I was, as when I was a patient, um, I wasn't that keen on going. I was thinking, oh, I don't need that. I don't oh, that. yeah, no, I didn't want to go to a group at all. I was like, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, but when you go mm. and then you sit in the room with pe- other people and it's such a similar story, you know, everyone's journey is different, but um you know, you bond, you can mm. really say, oh, okay, okay, this is making me feel better coming here. Yeah. <laughs> and then seeing the peer support um, because they genuinely understand every step of your treatment. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely very similar. I was, I'm not, I'm not a, a group sharey person, which seems a bit mm. weird now because I share so much on Instagram, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, no, this just isn't, but it was one of the best things that I did and I was doing treatment it was all evidence-based and yes yes. so thank you to you Mm. for all your work that you do in that and but I know you set up Wiping you set up Wiping as well didn't you so it's a young women's um, support group yes 
So that's the other one that that centre does, which uh, white pink is only once a month and it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of younger women who are being diagnosed with breast cancer. So as you were talking about the early breast cancer we were talking about before is for any age. So, you know, you can have people from 30 to 70 or whatever age. Um, but the beauty of the white pink is younger. So you're talking from whatever young age to about, you know, 40 something, because we're going through different things, different stages of life. And um, there's certain things that the younger ones don't want to talk about and do want to talk about that other people may not. So um, that's only once a month and then it sort of flows. We've started to have some people come and talk um, to the Y Pink, but we're sort of concentrating on those people coming a more allied health. Mm. Um, so there's real um, sort of extra uh, avenues that you can go down to just make you feel good because, as you know, we're realising how important overall well-being is to people's outcomes. Yeah, so allied health for supportive care, so physiotherapists. Reflexology. Reflexology. Guided meditation, all those sorts of yeah. things that yeah. you can use long-term um, but don't have the same, uh, you know, feel than when you were going through treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you can use those avenues during treatment now, they're they're realising that people are coming out with a better mental state yeah. um, when you're yeah. doing that as well as your treatment. Yeah, that sounds great. I love to hear how that's evolving from being that sort of group that's coming together to then having those um, speakers coming in as well and sharing. Mm. Well, we're lucky enough to have, you know, the um, a centre right there where um, there is there are allied health professionals. So... Um, We've only just started. So they've had the reflexology, reflexologist talking, and I think next month is um, doing a guided meditation. Um, so, you know, and, and that the, with the white pink it's more guided by them. So yeah. um, the person that runs it has said to them, okay, what do you want, you know, what would you like to, to hear from, yeah. from somebody and giving them some some choices I think for the you know the younger um it's not so much about that psychoeducation which is more the early breast cancer support group is um just that real bonding and being in the room and saying you know I'm having trouble with this or I'm sick of someone asking me this or I don't know how to approach this conversation um and it's it's just nice to be able to share and support them through that um yeah yeah, it's it's just it's so it's really rewarding you know um people always say oh thank you for coming but it's like well this is really rewarding too um and you sort of love seeing them because you you know as you know you you quite often see people like like we were with no hair and all that kind of thing and then as they keep coming afterwards, you see them flourish back into the, themselves. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, mm. it's it's a great, great, great group, um, and it's fabulous that you're you're doing it up there at the centre. Because yeah, we there is there are sh- some shared commonalities, obviously with the diagnosis, but then there are some individual needs around different groups. And I think young women is 
particularly one of those. So yeah. also as well, giving on a, a little bit from this is that your your um, diagnosis and your treatments that have happened and your work that you've been doing as an advocate and a mentor in that space, that's that's nudged you as well, isn't it, professionally? Um, I was talking to um, Terry Cootie from DFC Foundation, um, which is an American breast reconstruction not-for-profit. She has a history of breast cancer and reconstruction, mm. and that nudged her to become a patient advocate and set up the not-for-profit. And I always find mm. it really fascinating how a lot of us in the community, not everyone, and it's fine, you choose what you want to do, but yeah. get nudged into, into a new direction. And that's happened to yeah. you, hasn't it, following your treatment? Yeah. Um, like you, I just sort of thought this process needs to be better. Like, you know, I just don't see why it had to be so so harrowing and and, you know, daunting and you feel... You do feel isolated if you're not tapping into those support groups. So I actually, like I started doing the volunteering and then because um, I had a corporate career, but I retrained as a counsellor. Mm. So in the centre I am now the um, the counsellor, so I see cancer patients. Um, and it really does help me. I think it it's a massive part of... Um, me being able to really support people through it because I think it makes them I'm I wear it on my sleeve I'm like you it's like if I can use any part of um, what I went through to help someone feel less isolated or Mm. um, you know understand it better um, that's what I wanted to do and I think that does help people go, okay, yes, they they do understand. And there's, <clears throat> excuse me, a few people, a few therapists in the centre who have their own um, cancer history. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Yeah. 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 And I, I thought it was interesting. I was chatting to somebody who's a psycho, onco- uh, sorry, onco- onco-psych. Yep. Um, so yep. they specialise in um, supporting um people who have a history of cancer and they themselves have had a diagnosis. We were talking about how that can make that relationship a little bit easier because you don't necessarily need to explain as much to a counsellor mm. because they kind of get it because they got it, kind of, which is um, sounds very crude, but that it's kind of a phrase that is used in the cancer community that you understand once you've had a diagnosis and you, you almost don't need to explain all the backlog or all the background rather um, when you're chatting to somebody who has that experience as well? I think definitely um, even, you know, some clients will say to me, they'll come in and they'll just vent because they know, I know exactly how it feels when you know, lots of people in your network are asking you the same thing or, you know, someone close to you just doesn't really understand how you're feeling that day, um, it really helps to connect with people on that level because they do. They'll just say to you, you know what I mean, and and you do. You know, you might say one sentence and they go, yes, (laughs) that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, it's it's okay Okay. for us to feel that way. Yeah. Um, But it's good to be able to, I really love being able to provide that space for people where they can just, you know, say whatever. And I don't think anyone's ever said anything that I've been surprised at because it's like, yep, I remember that. Yep, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. 
So, um, and as we all know, talking about it with someone who understands, it just, I always say a problem shared is a problem halved. So, you know, you just feel, you genuinely feel better if you can share it with somebody and quite often that helps you see it from a different perspective and you go, yeah, okay, now I know how I can deal with that yeah. kind of thing. Right, wonderful. I find it fascinating that you've moved into that space, but I can see absolutely why you would and how you would, you know, fit in that space but also be wonderfully supportive for people who need that help. So thank you, Kylie. Thank you so much for sharing your um, experience of your your cancer diagnosis and your on your reconstructions and then how that's nudged you into, into this new career supporting others and you know give it, paying it forward I want to thank you I think well, you providing this space and giving this information to your listeners is amazing oh really thanks. helps thank yeah. you thank you yeah. so much my lovely it's really appreciated and I appreciate you so much thank you so before we close off though we have got the lyrics or lines to talk about that you're going yes. to share. Yeah. As, <laughs> as listeners might know, I ask guests to share a lyric or a line from something that means that's important to them or means something to what they've been talking to you about the pod. So what would you like to share today, Kylie? Well, I've actually got an old song that I'm sure everyone will be able to, um, to relate to. Mm. And I like that it's sort of the second half of the song. There's a part of it. Um, and it's I Will Survive, you know, Gloria Gaynor. Yeah. And she says, you know, go on, go out, walk out the door, just turn around now because you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one who tried to break me with goodbye? You think I'd crumble? You think I'd lay down and die? I know not I. I will survive. As long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. I've got all my life to live. I've got all my love to give and I'll survive. I will survive. Um, oh. And I think that's really, you know, the sort of you have those moments where you feel like what is going to happen when you're going through treatment. Mm. Um, but, you know, you can get through it yeah, uh, and just reach out for support. And I think that, that was a really, you know, I, yeah. I, whenever that song comes on, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you got I it. Showed, I showed you. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, but I wanted to share a quote, which is actually on my website, but yeah. Um, Carl Jung, who was a, is a Swiss psychiatrist, um, psychoanalyst, um, and I think this is something that I definitely uh, live by, especially post-cancer, um, and his quote is, I am not what happened to me, I am what I choose to become. So it's, you know, cancer doesn't define me. I, I choose what I do from mm. this moment on, and as you and I um, you know, we've used it, we've decided to turn it into something that we think is positive and, um, you know, something that we can help others. So um, I really choice. love that quote. Yeah, it's really powerful, isn't it? And I, mm. I don't think I've heard that before, but, yeah, it is really powerful mm. and, yeah, resonates completely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, my lovely. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. I, we are going to start to wrap it up now because usually if Kylie and I start talking, I think it might have been. <laughs> we just keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there might be a part two at some other point. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, darling. It's been wonderful to chat to you and really thank you for your support um, over the years as well. I'm so pleased that you found 
the surgeon that was right for you and the reconstruction that was right for you. Um, because, you know, go, going back in again, as you said, for a surgery, and especially so many years down the line, is a big decision. So mm. um, I think it's a really courageous decision to make as well. So thank you mm. so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. You're Always welcome. a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, lovely. <laughs> and thank you to listeners for listening. As I've mentioned before, Rewritten Me is an independent patient advocate initiative and any help in increasing its reach is greatly appreciated. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please follow, subscribe, share, rate and review. And as always, let me know if there's any topics that you'd like to cover. And that just leaves me to say goodbye for now, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast produced on the traditional lands of the Camaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.